Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us today. It's September and FASD Awareness Month. Be sure to check out Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Cindy LaJoy and Natalie Vecchione on Amazon.com. Today, we're starting a four-part series titled All About FASD, Professional Insights and Perspectives with Dr. Jared Brown. Jared Brown, PhD, MA, MS, 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 is a professor, trainer, researcher, and consultant with multiple years of experience teaching college and university courses. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies, AIAFS, and the editor-in-chief of Forensic Scholars Today. FST. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs, and he holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. FASD Hope is thrilled to be partnering with Dr. Brown for this four-part series all about FASD, professional insights and perspectives. Today's topic is FASD and COVID-19. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited about this new, I call it the series within the series that we're doing here at FASD Hope. I had the honor of meeting Dr. Jared Brown through an email introduction by Dr. Vanessa Spiller. Thank you, Dr. Spiller, if you are listening. I met Dr. Brown earlier this month, and we just got talking about collaborating and really teaching in depth some subjects and subtopics that are very relevant, especially now in the FASD community and with the FASD population. So I'm thrilled to call this all about FASD, professional insights and perspectives. Dr. Brown, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me on. So Jared, let's talk about your extensive work and research and clinical background in the FASD field, because I think what you have to offer with your perspective and insight to our listeners will be gold. Absolutely. I I really look at myself more as like a professor, a trainer, a consultant and researcher. I would say FASD is my main area of focus. A lot of the work I do in this area focuses on the criminal justice, the legal and the forensic mental health implications that FASD has. In particular, I've done quite a bit of work around FASD and confabulation, which is false memory creation. I I know a lot of caregivers reach out to me about that topic on a semi-regular basis. I've done quite a bit of work in the area of suggestibility in FASD youth fire setting, quite a bit on sleep disorders, and a lot of my hands-on experience has been with adult populations, 
but I do a lot of consulting with caregivers and other professionals and give quite a few talks to various professional audiences on a variety of topics related to FASD. So I've done a lot of training, some original research, a lot of collaboration with other folks in the field, and just talking to a lot of caregivers around the country and occasionally around the world, just about questions about their child or their adult child who becomes involved in the legal system or is just dealing with some challenging behaviors. So that's kind of just a brief introduction of the FASD lens that I do, but I do a lot of work in the area of autism and traumatic brain injuries and, and trauma and intellectual disabilities too. So I think it's so important to understand those other topics because the comorbidity, the co-occurring disorders that are attached to FASD are just widespread. So the more we can learn about other mental health, neurocognitive, neurodevelopmental disorders, I think we're just in a better position to understand the complex nature of FASD. Absolutely. And again, I'm just so thankful that you're here and doing this uh, mini series within our series, because I think that the insight, the experience and your professional uh, work is just going to be, is so helpful for our parents, caregivers, anyone listening. Um, so I, again, I'm just th so thankful to have you um, have you doing this. So let's talk about what you've primarily focused on, let's say in the past three years. You know, we know, especially with COVID, uh, there's been a lot of changes, um, particularly with the FASD population and how people are advocating and researching. Um, so let's focus on what you've been doing in the, in the past three years before we dive into today's topic. Absolutely. Where, where, where I teach as a professor at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, we just completed developing a new graduate certificate, graduate track that focuses on trauma resilience and self-care strategies. So I've spent, I've been spending a lot of work the last few years just really digging deep into the topics of trauma, adverse childhood experiences, complex and developmental trauma, resilient self-care strategies. And unfortunately, most of you all know, know this, that a high percentage of people with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder not only have trauma from the in utero exposure to alcohol, but they also deal with other types of traumas, attachment wounds. So very, very important when you're working with this population to understand attachment theory, self-regulation, executive function, the impact trauma has, not just from the alcohol exposure in utero, but what happens if that child then was exposed to abuse, neglect, other types of adversity, and that can really have a negative impact on brain development above and beyond the damage caused by in utero alcohol exposure. I am focusing uh, quite a bit of work recently too with some of my colleagues on the topics of confabulation and suggestibility as it pertains to FASD and just really digging into that topic and trying to learn more about what are best practices when you are interviewing someone with FASD. It doesn't matter if it's a police officer, if it's a case manager, if it's a medical doctor. There's a lot of complexities with interviewing someone with FASD and confabulation and suggestibility are two things that can really muddy the waters when trying to 
obtain accurate information. Give you a couple examples. Let's say it's like a psychiatrist. Maybe that person doesn't have a lot of experience with FASD. And they interview it a way in which that is kind of forced choice questions where the person feels like they have to answer the question yes or no. In some case, worst case scenario, that could lead to a misdiagnosis, an underdiagnosis, an overdiagnosis. Someone could be prescribed medications for something they don't need. They may not be prescribed medications for something they do need. If it's a police officer, worst case scenarios, this could lead to wrongful arrest, wrongful imprisonment. If it's a lawyer doing a cross-examination in the courtroom and it's imperative to understand these topics. If it's a mental health worker, very important to understand how to interview people with FASD effectively because you wanna develop a goal plan that is really matched to that client's developmental, cognitive, and emotional age rather than their chronological age. We can dig into all these topics in much greater detail, Natalie, if you'd like. Yes. And as a matter of fact, Jared, you are promoting our next month's episode, which will be about FASD and trauma and adverse experiences. And then we will also be talking the following month about FASD and confabulation. So I'm so glad you're saying that because you're giving our audience a preview of our future conversations. So that's wonderful. And again, thank you so much on behalf of the parents out there. I'm just so thankful for the work you're doing, Jared, because it is helping us not only now, but especially for those parents of younger children, it's helping them in the future to better prepare for the future. And we know that the more we know about the science behind FASD, the better we can prepare, accommodate, and support our kids as they age and become adults. So um, again, I'm just going to thank you profusely throughout this episode. I truly appreciate it. (laughs) So let's talk about today's topic. Today's topic is FASD and COVID-19. And I know that everybody listening, myself included, we all were hoping we would be in a much different place, you know, uh, over a year ago, you know, when we were in this pandemic, but unfortunately we're not, we're actually even more deeper into this, um, you know, because of the Delta variant and just because of, you know, a a number of factors. But it's important that we talk about FASD and COVID-19 because there are particular implications that COVID-19 has not only on individuals with FASD, but on their families and loved ones. So we're a year and a half into the pandemic. Why is this such an important topic for families who have children and loved ones to be aware of the vulnerabilities of COVID-19 and the FASD population? You bet. This last year, year and a half, I have presented several related trainings on COVID-19 more through a behavioral health lens, how it impacts mental health, emotional health, behavioral health. And some of the trainings I've, I've presented on have related to COVID-19 and sleep disturbances. We know from the research literature in general on FASD and sleep, sleep disturbances are really the rule rather than the exception. The research coming out on just COVID-19 and the related stress, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty, just exacerbates many of the things that I think parents are dealing with right now. And really think of COVID-19 as more of a collective trauma. 
everybody is impacted by COVID-19 directly or indirectly in some capacity. Now, if you are raising a child with a neurodevelopmental disorder, there is quite a bit of research literature that is coming out that talks about COVID-19 and the impact it has on children with ADHD, autism, intellectual disabilities. There's just been a few sprinklings of articles that talk about the impact it may have on people with FASD. There's not a lot of research specific yet to FASD, but there is a ton of research coming out that is showing that in this era of COVID-19, stress is going up. Uh, alcohol use, substance misuse, screen time addiction, just all the stressors that put are put on that entire family system. Think of the disruptions in daily routines that people have experienced during COVID-19. Disruptions in daily routines are not a good thing for people on the FASD spectrum. Work, mealtime disruptions, playing with friends, social activities, how we exercise, even our sleep has been impacted. Our nap time, our technology use habits, all of those factors can increase stress in that entire family system. A big thing that I'm hearing about, a big thing I read about, a big thing that I just, I see in some of the people I work with is the level of uncertainty. Uncertainty is really difficult, that fear of the future. We know that people with FASD absolutely struggle with abstract reasoning. Abstract reasoning is connecting the dots, cause and effect, kind of understanding how our actions today may impact us tomorrow. People with FASD really struggle with that. That can get in the way of goal planning, decision-making, problem-solving. That can put added stress on the parents, the caregivers. Now consider if you're a caregiver, are you dealing with any type of financial or economic uncertainty? Are you on the verge of homelessness, poverty? The research coming out in the era of COVID is showing that rates of homelessness are going up, rates of poverty. What about health uncertainties? Is someone in the household dealing with some other type of chronic medical health conditions besides FASD? What about relationship uncertainty? Is this putting a strain on the entire family system? Will we see an increase in divorce and separation? I don't know. I, I suspect in some cases, absolutely. That lack of routine is, is very challenging. One tip, obviously, the best we can is to implement a a routine within this era of COVID. Structure, predictability, routine are always a good thing. What about the fear of the unknown? Is one caregiver in the house or both working in the medical field and they're worried about bringing COVID home to the entire family? There's a couple cases I've consulted on where the adult with FASD lives in a group home and they don't understand the cause and effect between when they run away they refuse to wear a mask. Maybe they're dealing with some sensory processing issues and the mask bugs them. They're not connecting the dots that when they run away, they could contract COVID. And then now when they go back into the home, they could bring COVID back into the residence when there are other residents in there that are dealing with some challenging medical vulnerabilities as well. From a trauma lens, what happens if people have an extensive trauma history prior to COVID? So we got to look at pre-existing types of factors too. COVID is amplifying trauma that could raise doubt, 
skepticism, suspiciousness, mistrust, worry, fear, confusion, anxiety. All of these factors are a recipe for disaster without proper supports, services, interventions. Unfortunately, in some cases, this could exacerbate increases in sleep problems that may have already been there. In some cases, maybe people now are turning to unhealthy coping practices. Are they now using drugs, alcohol? Many people I know that I've consulted with are dealing with sugar addiction. That could be a whole nother discussion. How this impacts digestive health functioning. We know digestive health functioning has a huge impact on brain health functioning. And the list goes on. Natalie, I'll open up to you if you have any thoughts, questions on that, or if you want me to go a little bit deeper in any of those topics. Jared, I am like fervently taking notes. <laughs> I am just writing down everything you're saying because Oh my goodness, you bring up so many incredible points for parents to really think about, particularly that COVID-19 impacts trauma. You know, that I think so many people and that relationship, we all know that trauma and FASD, they're just intertwined, you know? So just the existence of the COVID-19 pandemic really impacts that trauma, you know, whether we see it or not. The other point that you're bringing that just really hits home for me is that COVID-19 disrupts schedules. It just does. Whether thinking about us, you know, we're rural and, you know, our son, he is an aspiring woodworker hoping to create his own small business. We homeschool our daughter we think that yeah, it doesn't really affect us, but it does because going to co-ops or him visiting friends or things like that, COVID really impacts our schedules. So you bring up this great point, which I am going to implement, I think further, we already have this in place, but having a schedule, an adapted routine, an adapted schedule within COVID, I think will help our kids teens, young adults with, you know, that sense of, okay, there's a sense of normalcy, you know, there's a sense of, even though there's a disruption in our schedules, we can still create a schedule within the disruption, if that makes sense. It does. And that reminds me too, of the importance, looking at some of this research is coming out about COVID, not necessarily specific to FASD, but it absolutely relates in my opinion home confinement, being home more, having reduced levels of physical activity. There is some evidence to support the fact that obesity is going up now. What happens if that lack of schedule then reduces exposure to daylight? We know getting daylight in the morning is so important for mental health and helping people regulate those circadian rhythms. So getting natural sunlight in the morning is very important. I mentioned a little bit about like unhealthy habits, like stress eating. Sometimes people may skip meals. Maybe they binge eat. One of the best things people can do for their mental health is maintain adequate blood sugar levels. Maybe it's consulting with a nutritionist, a dietitian, a functional medicine specialist. Also often, a lot of people with FASD sometimes have unusual relationships with food. I've seen it go either way, overeating, binge eating, or not eating enough and they lose weight. I've said definitely. And when people eat binge eat or unhealthy eating habits that can increase chronic low-grade inflammation. There's a huge connection between low-grade inflammation 
and mental health problems. That impact of the pace of time too during COVID, people lose track of time. I hear this a lot where someone says, oh, it feels like it was 20 minutes. They look at their clock, four hours have gone by and they've been on the screen the whole time. We need to be aware of how excessive screen time exposure is actually very unhealthy and very problematic and it can exacerbate a host of issues. Not a lot of evidence specifically in the research on FASD and screen time addiction. Anecdotally, I see it all the time. And a lot of people on the autism spectrum deal with this. And there is evidence in the literature on autism and ADHD as well. So just a few of those things, just think about that and don't even bring FASD into the equation. All of those factors in and of themselves can increase depression, anxiety, worry, social anxiety. Sometimes people might have developmental regression as well. So let's say before COVID, that child or teenager or adult was interacting with people and their social skills were improving. You were seeing marked improvements. Now, if they're home, they've been away from friends you may see a regression in some of those skills that were previously learned. So we'll talk a little bit about like telehealth interventions today, but just connecting with other people, even if it's not face-to-face, getting a routine through the computer, through the phone or something like that, use technology to the benefits as well, can be a very helpful thing. And unfortunately, when we look at COVID, all these things, Think of all the stress-related health problems that can happen if we don't take care of ourselves, if parents aren't taking care of themselves, if they're working all night long because during the day they're helping their children do school, we need to have balance. We need to be aware of burnout, parental burnout. Stress-related health problems can increase insomnia, asthma, cold and flu viruses. It can have a really big impact on blood sugar regulation issues. It can contribute to headaches, back pain, gastrointestinal problems, the list goes on. So self-care is not just important for your child, but it is important for everyone in that household. Yes. And I am taking particular note of that point because you have to remember throughout all of this, and this has been going on for well over a year, we have to remember that we need to put like the analogy in the airplane. We have to put that oxygen mask on us first before we can consider even consider being, you know, the role of a parent slash caregiver for our kids that have brain-based diagnoses. So I'm just so glad that you're reminding us of that. So let's talk about specific facts and bullet points that you can share with our listeners, Jared, about FASD and COVID-19. Before we talk about resources and how listeners can get help, learn more, et cetera, let's just talk about specific facts and bullet points that you want our audience to know. Yeah, you bet. If you don't mind, I'll just take it one step behind that. What about women who are pregnant right now too? There is evidence coming out during this era of COVID that the associated lockdowns, the fear of COVID, all of these things, in some cases, there's a hesitancy in some women who are pregnant to go in for prenatal examinations. They're dealing with more isolation. What happens if they're dealing with a lot of prenatal stressors in and of themselves, even if they're not drinking alcohol, maternal depression, exposure to poverty, 
homelessness. There's a whole line of literature on iodine deficiency, folic acid deficiency. The list goes on and on and on. When we talk about trauma and attachment, we'll go a lot deeper into that. But we also need to be aware of those postnatal threats. So what happens after the child is born? Is the child born into an environment where there's just so much stress and everyone's on edge and people are irritable and there's yelling and screaming? Creating stability within that household is key. Understanding child development, understanding the use of appropriate voice tone, understanding the importance of engaging your child in cognitively stimulating activities, talking to your child, playing with your child, parental warmth, all of these things are so helpful to brain development in general. Now, if you have a child with FASD, these are all very important things you should and could be doing as well. Obviously consulting with healthcare providers and things of that nature as well. But when we start thinking about COVID and some of the research that's coming out on more neurodevelopmental disorders in general, thinking of all the comorbidities, most people that FASD are gonna be dealing with a co-occurring mental health issue and it's usually not just one, several being aware of the comorbidities associated with physical health issues as well. Does that place that person at greater risk of COVID-related stressors? Well, the more stress, the more disorders, the more complex issues the person is dealing with, it becomes more of a challenging matter, absolutely. We also need to be aware of, obviously, this population deals with very lower levels of adaptive functioning. So they may have a normal IQ or just a below normal IQ in some cases, but the way they adapt day to day, how they use knowledge, how they apply it from situation to situation, how they form a goal, how they achieve that goals, typically that's going to be lower without proper supports and services. So lower levels of adaptive functioning, I think, place individuals with FASD at greater risk during this era of COVID because they may not understand the nuances or the abstract concepts associated with COVID. You look outside, it's a beautiful sunny day. It looks good to me. But to someone with FASD, they're, they're, they're probably not going to connect the dots that I can't see COVID. They may look outside and say it's, everything's okay, and they may live a life that puts them at greater risk of contracting COVID or placing other ones at greater risk as well. Being aware, too, in some cases, are they on social media and are they very compliant? Are they very gullible? Are they very suggestible? And they glob on to things they see online. I have many, many examples of that firsthand I've heard from individuals. Do they understand the complex rules associated with like proper hygiene practices? Do they connect the dots there? Those kind of things. So there's a lot of things we need to take into account. In some case, I don't want to get too far deep in the weeds, but a higher percentage of people with neurodevelopmental disorders also deal with alexithymia. And alexithymia is, it's not a disorder in and of itself. It's more of kind of like a, a psychological construct where with someone has true alexithymia, they're not going to have words to express their emotions. So there's gonna be a disconnect between how they feel emotionally and what they report to you. So a couple examples would be, and I've seen this a lot, a lot of literature on autism and alexithymia. There's a few articles that briefly talk about FASD and alexithymia, but not a lot. 
if you have some, if you're working with someone who has FASD and true alexithymia, you can probably visually tell that that client or your son or daughter might be in distress. But when you ask them, they say, I'm, I'm doing great. Everything's fine. Alexithymia may come out as my head hurts, my stomach hurts. I feel tired. Those kind of symptoms are going to be more common rather than them naming their emotions. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I'm sad. I'm depressed. That's the best way I can sum up alexithymia. I see it all the time, but there's not a lot of research on that per se with FASD, but anecdotally, I think it's a very a common thing. Another uh, client that I consulted with some professionals on where they don't know for sure if she has FASD, this is an adult, but mom drank, all of her siblings dealing with a lot of health issues. This client is dealing with profound executive functioning impairments, ADHD. She's got all the classic symptoms, but she's an adult. You can't know with certainty it's FASD, but it sure seems like it. In this era of COVID-19, this person is absolutely dealing with profound organizational deficits and planning deficits. She gets really overwhelmed easily and easily fatigued. So maybe the first 15 minutes you talk to her, she's alert. She seems everything's a-okay. After that 15 minutes, she's deple depleted her energy. And it seems like she's just extremely tired at that point. Takeaway from that is fatigue management is so important. Taking extra breaks, ensuring the person is staying hydrated, eating healthy foods, maybe starting out the day with some walking exercise, deep breathing, maybe it's yoga, whatever it is. I know I always get this response when I say exercise to people I work with. Well, I have mobility issues. I have back pain. Maybe it's a referral to a physical therapist and it's heated pool therapy or chair yoga. There's always something we can do to modify. This client I'm referring to as well, all of these factors increased her anxiety. Anxiety is one of the most common co-occurring disorders with FASD. COVID-19 has exacerbated this to a much higher level. When she's dealing with all of the organization, planning, anxiety, she has a very difficult time putting on the brakes, pausing, reflecting, and interrupts her workers excessively. So it's very hard for them to redirect her. So I think it's always important to remember to be kind calm, patient, curious, and know that this population oftentimes deals with auditory and information processing. So when you do ask a question, give some time for that individual to respond. It's not uncommon for some people to take 10, 15, 20 seconds. The last thing we want to do is follow it up with rapid fire questioning, because that can lead to sensory overload, self-regulation issues, problems with inhibition, you hear me talk about inhibition, just think of that as our internal parking brake, like our pause button. It falls in the umbrella of executive function. So those are a couple of things, Natalie, but we can go deeper if you'd like to on any of that stuff. Again, I, I'm just writing this down and just soaking in this wonderful insight and, and information, this education that you're giving us, Jared. Can you just explain before we move on to talking about resources and aids, which you've touched upon, from your perspective, Jared, can you explain why you think, I mean, you've already touched upon it, but why you think that individuals, particularly 
teens and young adults that have brain-based diagnoses are so susceptible to COVID. We hear the statistics saying that COVID-19 impacts those with developmental disabilities, with, with neuro you know, diversity more, they're at more of a risk. And you have spoken about some of these factors, you know, where an individual thinks, you know, it's a beautiful day. It's okay. I'm just going to go outside. That's, that's actually like, I think a classic example of one of the ways where an individual may be more susceptible. Can you just talk for a couple of minutes about some of the other factors that increase that susceptibility? I think a big part is going to be those, those abstract reasoning deficits. So again, what does that look like? Typically, it's going to be that person has difficulty understanding the situation or the context or the concept of COVID-19. So when they're faced with uncertainty and worry and fear about the future, a lot of times they may not have those skills in place to make good decisions. And that is why it's so important. All of you know the term probably external brain or having like an external coach, someone there that's going to help guide them, protect them, help them make better decisions, those kind of things. I think it's also a component of this that I don't think people think about enough. What about self, like um, sensory processing issues? Again, the person, maybe they want to wear a mask, but wearing the mask is just so uncomfortable and it causes them great distress and anxiety and even just high levels of anger and irritability. Do they understand their actions? Do they understand what constitutes unsafe behaviors versus safe behaviors? Those again are kind of pretty abstract concepts. Those disruptions in routine, again, maybe for someone with FASD, now they, they're back in school. A few months ago, they were home. What happens if the numbers continue to increase and now they're gonna be thrusted back home? that back and forth can be very confusing and very challenging. And they may have extreme resistance to these changes in routine where they just started to adapt. Problems in comprehension. Comprehending, again, the stressful, traumatic, scary situation. Do they have an appreciation of the virus? Do they have a healthy fear of it? In some cases, they may not. Do they get bored easily and then they just have a tendency, I can't take the boredom, I got to get out of here. I see that, I hear that from caregivers with kids who have running away histories. What about social communication deficits too? They have, again, maybe a difficult time expressing their emotions. We didn't talk about theory of mind today. I highly recommend you understand the topic of theory of mind. It is a core deficit of FASD. There's some studies on it. A lot of the literature comes out of the autism world, but theory of mind deficits basically relate to perspective taking. Does that person understand the internal wants, needs, thoughts, emotions, intentions of other people? There's some subcomponents of empathy to that as well. So can they communicate their thoughts? Do they understand how their actions may impact other people? And all of these other secondary issues, lack of sleep, mental health issues? Are they dealing with co-occurring physical health issues? The rates of seizure disorders, unfortunately, are higher in this population. Are they also dealing with chronic obesity? Are they dealing with low-grade inflammation? Do they also have a co-occurring other kind of neurocognitive impairment? 
have they sustained other types of trauma that just exacerbate chronic low-grade inflammation? Those are just a few things that come to my mind that may place this population at a disadvantage. Again, be careful with taking this as fact because there's not a lot of empirical data that's come out specifically to FASD and COVID. But if we look at the FASD literature, these are definitely variables we want to take into account that place this population at greater risk or disadvantage. Yes. Thank you. This, this is just tremendous information, Jared. And we know that FASD is a brain-based diagnosis. It's a brain-based developmental disability, which means that that in, in, under that umbrella, you know, in addition to everything you're saying, just being in that population is, is considered to be a risk factor. So I'm just so glad that you're really pointing out the specifics in that. So let's shift now, since you've educated us so, so thoroughly, and I'm so thankful for this. Let's talk about some of the biggest resources that can assist caregivers, families, and those living with with an FASD. So how can we better support those in the FASD population and their caregivers and families? while we're writing out the rest of COVID-19? Become informed as much as possible. I think staying current on the research literature, if that is a possibility. Joining support groups, not doing this in isolation. Be more aware of the topic of burnout and parental burnout and name it. It's okay not to feel okay. This is a tough time. Name our emotions. Be on the lookout for any red flag kind of symptoms or indicators of parental burnout. What might be some of those things you might want to be on the lookout for? If you notice you're more short-tempered, if you just feel like you're walking on eggshells, you're more irritable, maybe it's like foggy thinking and you're just fatigued after a really good night's sleep over and over. Are you having more disruptions in your sleep patterns, headaches, unexplained body pains? Maybe it's more confusion where... You just can't come up with the words. It's You're just having a real difficult time. Forgetfulness, stomach discomfort, higher levels of anxiety and depression. Are you just feeling overwhelmed and you just feel stuck and you feel like you, you have no control and just the future looks very dark to you? Are you having more conflict with those around you? Coworkers, family, friends, neighbors, spouses. Are you starting to have more obsessive tendencies? You might see that with burnout in some cases where you start ruminating more on negative things. Do you have a hard time disconnecting from your gadgets or or screen, things like that? So be aware of those red flag indicators. As much as you can, promote resilience in yourself and within your family as well. If you are not familiar with resilience, it really is a protective factor against various types of hardship. It can help people bounce back much easier from trauma or shock or loneliness or fear or worry. Try to promote a positive self-concept of yourself. You know, give yourself breaks. None of us are perfect. Trying to have more optimism, trying to have more gratitude, limit setting, very, very important. I see this a lot. People have a hard time saying no, including me. I'm guilty as charged with all this stuff too. Limit setting around food, 
around your technology use, around your bedtime practices. Set a healthy routine. Go to bed the same night, same time every night, and get up the same time every day, if possible. Take breaks throughout the day. Even rest. Maybe you're not napping, but just resting, just sitting quietly, listening to some music or something. Eat healthy foods. Very, very important. When you think of resilience in yourself or your family, I think good questions to ask yourself is how do you cope with hardship? How do you and your family cope with uncertainty or change or stress? And can you remain positive and hopeful in those situations? If you struggle in a lot of those areas, it's okay. It is normal. But being aware of that, being aware of your triggers, being aware of what resources, supports, services you need in place. Maybe you live in a rural area. Maybe you have some transportation barriers. Look at telehealth. There are so many services out there that you can connect to via the computer, via the phone, self-help apps. There's all kinds of apps out there that can help people do deep breathing, promote relaxation, just getting consistent, having helpful reminders. You can connect telehealth with people locally, probably, depending on where you're at. Maybe you need to consult with an FASD expert where there isn't one in your area, looking how to connect with them over the computer, by phone. There are resources out there. Do everything you can to promote healthy social connections as well. Big connect or just there's so many health benefits associated with connecting and like a support network, feeling like you have a voice, empowerment, feeling like you belong, feeling like you have purpose, practicing empathy, not just for other people, but for yourself. Self-compassion is very, very important. Give yourself a break. You guys, you work hard, you do a lot. It's okay where no, nobody's perfect. Journaling, some people say journaling helps depending on the person. Journaling really is a form of self-care. Maybe someone doesn't like to write. I've heard some people use like a digital recorder and they, they say their thoughts in there. If you're looking to maybe improve your sleep practices, looking at stress management techniques that address anxiety, worry, fear, uncertainty, isolation, implementing calming and relaxation strategies and skills in your day-to-day -day life. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's deep breathing. Whatever you like, there's always something out there we can do. And again, as much as possible, I stress this a few times, establish that positive daily routine around eating habits, sleeping, exercise, establishing maybe it's a technology reduction day. You take a break from being on the screen. That can do amazing things for people. If you're glued to your gadgets 24 seven, you probably don't realize how much that depletes your energy and it burns your eyes and it can hurt your shoulders and lots of things. Enhance protective factors within your family. So again, promote resilience, social support, get maybe that's concrete supports. Maybe a family has a newborn, maybe they've just adopted a child with FASD. Maybe they need some coaching some psychoeducation. Maybe it can be done via Zoom about child development, about just the basics of raising a child with FASD. Maybe it's taking an online class on attachment theory. Tons of videos online that you can find on YouTube. 
Maybe it's a parent who needs connection to a school completion program or job training, or maybe it's mental health treatment or substance use treatment. And I'll leave you with this too, thinking of adaptive coping strategies too. There's a whole line of research literature on emotional intelligence. As much as you can learn about emotional intelligence, I think that is very, very helpful. If you struggle with self-regulation yourself or self-control, understanding, learning how to put the brakes on, pausing, reflecting, those kind of things can be very, very helpful. Some people tell me that using humor appropriately is very helpful. Processing your emotions with other people, not letting that those emotions bottle up, because if they do, that can really impact your emotional, behavioral, and physical health as well. Those are just a few things that come to mind. Okay, Jared, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. And I, I know I have been, I, I feel like this list, <laughs> everything on this list, just about, I can take and, and just use, and this is such a great reminder of how important it is to just be honest about how you're doing throughout COVID-19. You know, I am just, again, I'm fervently writing everything you're saying, and, and I will be printing these suggestions and the, this advice and this wonderful insight for our audience listeners so that they can see just everything that you're recommending. I think it's so necessary that even though we're still like almost 18 months into the pandemic, that we recognize that we need to keep doing this. You know, I know that in the beginning, we reminded ourselves, here's what we need to do to cope and everything. But especially when we're caregiving, parenting, um, living with those that have an FASD or another brain-based diagnosis, this is so important. We really need to do this. So I am just so grateful you are going in depth about this topic because I think not only personally, and this is helping me just listening to your recommendations and, and your wonderful insight, but I know this will help so many other parents, caregivers, those in the community. So um, just again, I, I, I just want to thank you for, for all of this. And before we end our episode, I really want our listeners to know how they can further learn about the work you're doing and how they can get in touch or follow you because what you're saying is just such golden advice and golden insight for us in the, um, in the parenting caregiving part of the FASD population. So how can people follow you, learn more, your webinars, anything? I'm giving you a platform, Jared. Sure, you bet. Well, thank you. I think, Natalie, if you can share my email address with Absolutely. your audience, I always get back to email. Um, you can find me online. I am the CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies. We do a lot of online-based trainings related to all topics, mental health, forensic-related. We have several webinars that focus on FASD on the website. I'm a professor at Concordia University in St. Paul, where I am the program director for a Master of Arts degree in Human Services with an emphasis in forensic behavioral health. And then I briefly mentioned, I believe at the early earlier today, the second emphasis area that we just launched actually this month in trauma, resilience, and self-care. These are graduate level programs for 
people who want to work in the helping professions in both of those programs, we do dig into FASD at various times. That's not the sole focus, but we do have some different modules and learning activities that focus on, on that on the topic of FASD as well. So I would say that if people want some resources, recommended readings, I will always share what I've learned with other people and I always wanna learn from others too. So that's a collaborative kind of, I think response we need to tackle with FASD because there's a lot of moving parts and we can't do it alone. So well stated, Jared. So I will be sharing the information, um, Dr. Brown's email, as well as the organization links um, in today's program notes and also on our social media posts for this episode. I'm thrilled that Dr. Brown will be back for three more months in 2021, and we will be continuing this monthly series within the series all about FASD professional insights and perspectives with Dr. Jared Brown. The hope takeaway consists of words of hope for our listeners, for their journeys. And we're talking about a serious topic, COVID-19 and the FASD population. What words of hope can you give based on your insight and your experience to help us um, just to keep moving on through this? You're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. There are many caregivers, professionals, organizations, trainings, resources that are out there that are dedicated to helping individuals understand more about FASD. And what COVID has shown us is how we can use technology to our benefit where we can connect with people all around the world. Obviously before COVID that was going on, but for me personally, I've connected with way more people and reached even larger audiences. What I found too during COVID is that technology has been able to help more people connect with a larger audience. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of people out there that care about this topic. There's increased awareness out there. Use technology to your benefit too. Maybe you're living in a rural area and you feel isolated. There are people out there you can connect with online. There's a lot of supports and services. Looking back or listening to the section, we talked a little bit about telehealth. In the next few months, I'll go a lot deeper into how you can use telehealth to your benefit. And maybe it's not telehealth, maybe it's teleconsulting, telecoaching, teleeducation, whatever word you want to call it. There's coaches out there, there's professionals, there's educators that can provide resources, coaching, modeling, teaching, all kinds of things we can do. And I'll share a lot of that in the next few months. So again, Natalie, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you everyone for taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast and always happy to answer questions. Just shoot me an email. I'll get back to you right away. And I am thrilled that you will be back three more times uh, before the end of 2021 to give us more professional insight and uh, just share with us your, um, your experiences and your insight. Again, Dr. Jared Brown, thank you again for being on FASD Hope. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Make sure you join us again next week. And remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.